Lord Jesus, we bring to you hearts filled with praise and thanksgiving for who you are and for all the mercy, grace, and love that you continually shower down upon us. We ask that you open our minds and hearts to take in what you have given to us this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. How many of you have ever had a mission to perform? Something that was very important to you. Something you maybe felt called or compelled to do. Something that you were going to accomplish come hell or high water. Missions may be accomplished by individuals or by groups. The Honduras Mission Team, commissioned here just two weeks ago today, set out on the 5th of February to go to a mission to Jericho Ministries, to which each one of us had felt that God was calling us. Jericho started out in the late 90s as a ministry to some of the people in Tegucigalpa who um, were the least reached. These were the prostitutes on the streets. It then developed into taking care of the children of these prostitutes. Many of these children were locked in their rooms during the day or at night, and they had little or no food, little or no clothing. And even worse, some of these children were sent out onto the streets by their parents or grandparents. There are two little boys who are still at the villas, and they were sent out at ages three and five, by their grandmother because she was too lazy to work and she sent them out on the streets. How horrific is that? All of you grandparents in there here, I'm sure you can relate to how could a grandmother do that? But that is, is what happened to these two little boys, Noe and Daniel. As the ministry grew and grew, more and more children seemed to come to their door and they built a villa about two hours outside of um, Tegucigalpa, which at first was going to be a place for the women to go to be discipled, to get them out of the city and out of that environment where they would keep sleep, slipping back. But um, there were so many children, and many of the women could still find a way to run away and go back to the city that it has become a sanctuary for these children. When um, four of us first went to the villa in 2008, there were four, and one more came while we were there, five children there. Now there are 40. It is amazing to see these children, and this is one of the things that keeps bringing us back. When we arrived on the mountaintop, that is now Jericho Villa, it felt for all six of us that we were coming home. And the fact that the power was out when we arrived only intensified our sense of mission. There was much to be done and only one week in which to get it done.
these children have wormed their way into our hearts over the years. And it was pure joy mingled with some tears as we hugged and kissed them and exclaimed over them about how they'd grown. and, And it was just wonderful to see these kids. We were then introduced to the many, many new children. And they very quickly became part of our family, and we became a part of their family. After dinner and prayers that first night, we all headed off to a good night's sleep. The girls in the big villa upstairs and the boys in the Red Roof Inn. That's what Tom Green has dubbed the series of little individual rooms down below the big villa. After a wonderful breakfast and devotions, our team was all about making a plan according to God's leading. And part of that plan was the men walking all around to see what needed doing. Betsy, the Jericho ministry founder, and Elvia, Betsy's right hand, were so excited as the men found this need and that need. We are the only team who not only consistently comes back, we are also the fix-it team. There's nobody else who goes who does exactly what they ask, the needs that they have. We walk in and say, okay, what do you need for us to do? And there were four very gifted and talented men on this trip who walked all around, found out what needed to be done, and then set out to do it. I could tell you story after story of how God answered our prayers, how the children interacted with each one of us. Um, just one little story. It's hard to know which one to pick. But on the first day, Betsy had said she wanted some painting done, most especially in the dining room and the kitchen. Well, as you walk from the the kitchen into the dining room and vice versa, there's this great big arch that's about this wide. And if you can imagine 40 hands and fingers touching the white and pale yellow walls, what they looked like after all these years, it was awful. (laughs) It was black. That was, you know, not just dirty. It was black. And there was no way to wash it clean. So... Betsy had figured that was going to be, that's one of the things that she wanted done. Well, when they first built the villa, she had the paint matched to the color she wanted. But at this stage in their life, that's way too expensive. So she bought basic colors that she thought might be as close to the colors that we were going to use. So we opened up the gold supposedly gold, and stirred it and stirred it and stirred it. They don't have the machines that Home Depot has that shake the paint. No, we had to stir it and stir it and stir it. And the more we stirred it, the more we looked at it, and it didn't look like it was going to even come close to matching what was on the wall. We painted a small section, and we looked at it, and we thought, whoops, it was ugly. It was the worst gold, mustard, yucky possible color you could imagine. And that just didn't, wasn't going to work. So 
We had a gallon of that color. We had a gallon of ivory and a gallon of white. Betsy looked at me and she said, let's pray. So we stopped and we prayed. Okay, Lord, what are we going to do about this color? We know that you want this place to be beautiful for the children. We want it to be a place of refuge for them. Lord, help us. And we started pouring a little of this and a little of that. And even as we were painting the color on the wall, we were still not too sure. Then Betsy got some sponges and put it in, put them in the ivory and the white. One sponge in the ivory, one in the white. And then while the paint was still wet, sort of sponged over and rubbed it in. And then we stood back and looked at it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. God answered that, you know, seemingly silly little prayer. There was also a young man, I don't know, how old is Isaac? Ten, nine, ten? Who really wanted to learn how to paint. Well, we taught him how to paint, and he painted all the edges down low where my knees weren't going to bend to be able to paint. And we had more fun while we were painting with Isaac. It was really um, a great relationship-building time. And this is just one of a series of little miracles. You talk to any of the people on the team, Dan Wallace, Tom Green, Bill Peace, Bill Phillips, Meredith, and I, and you will hear lots of stories of God's um, answering our prayers. This, this one example shows a little bit of how God was present doing his quiet and sometimes not so quiet little miracles. We were on the mountaintop, full to overflowing. Now, there really is no way to compare our mountaintop with that of Peter's, James, and John's. In today's epistle reading, Peter states that this is no myth they were following. These three men actually witness the transfiguration of Jesus. It is a fact. And we believe Peter's writings because of the confidence we have in God's word, which promises us Jesus' continual presence in the life of his followers. And without a doubt, Jesus is present at Jericho. Up on our mountain in Dan Lee, we studied his word with a full confidence that the Bible is not a cleverly devised myth. And we saw his power and glory in the words we read and discussed. We stopped and prayed as things came up, and we did when we didn't know what what to do. Sort of like, what are we going to do with this horrible paint? But no, that's not even entirely true that we stopped to pray because we didn't know what to do. We stopped and prayed and asked God what he wanted us to do. How did he want it fixed? And we would see God in his glory. We may not have seen Moses or Elijah, but we had our own little 
transfiguration. We did not hear God's voice saying, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. But we knew we were walking obediently with God and were listening to his son. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Well, it was. And can still be every single day. That's the big point here. You don't have to be in Honduras on a mountaintop to live this way. The transfiguration of Jesus was very real to Peter, James, and John. And it needs to be real to us, too. Each and every day of our lives, we need to hear, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. And we need to listen to him. Listen to the Son of God. You might respond with, well, that's all very well and good, but how do I hear him? Some of you may be familiar with Oswald Chambers and his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. Well, Thursday's reading included this little quote. The destiny of my spiritual life is such identification with Jesus Christ that I always hear God. And I know that God always hears me. John 11:41. If I am united with Jesus Christ, I hear God by the devotion of hearing all the time. A lily or a tree or a servant of God may convey God's message to me. What hinders me from hearing is that I am taken up with other things. It is not that I will not hear God, but I am not devoted in the right place. I am devoted to things, to service, to convictions, and God may say what he likes, but I do not hear him. The child attitude is always, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. If I have not cultivated this devotion of hearing, I can only hear God's voice at certain times. At other times, I am taken up with things. Things which I say I must do, and I become deaf to him. Are you deaf to God? There is something about a mission trip that enables each of us to hear God more easily. We are away from the hustle and bustle of our daily lives. No internet or television distractions. The phone doesn't ring. And it is easier. But, and this is a big but, we can and need to live that very same way each and every day of our lives. Once, we were visiting Susie McCall, another missionary that St. Luke supports, who has a ministry in Honduras. Several years ago, we were visiting her, and one of our team told Susie that she wished she could live the way Susie did, relying on God constantly in prayer and listening to him, really living the life of faith and trust. And Susie's answer stunned all of us. You can. 
Why can't you? What is stopping you? A mission trip is a training ground for all those called to go. It's really not about doing and following your own agenda. It's about being and listening to God and following his lead. Whether it is fixing the electrical wiring, painting walls, playing soccer, or stopping and listening to someone needing an ear, or just taking time to praise and worship the transfigured Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings for you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. How easy it would be for those of us on the mission trip to say the very same thing. To try to capture the moment and keep it safe and sound. All to ourselves, where we could look at it and talk about the experience to each other. But that moment didn't last. They looked around and saw no one, only Jesus. And it didn't last for us if we, as we stepped off the plane in Savannah and drove on home to Hilton Head, back to the everydayness of our lives here at home. So what can we do about it? What can you do about it? Does the transfiguration mean anything to you in your life? Or is it just one of those biblical events in the life of Jesus that we read about and talk about once a year on the last Sunday in Epiphany, the Sunday just before Ash Wednesday leads us into Lent? Let's think about the transfiguration for a moment. Close your eyes and picture it. Jesus, Peter, James, and John climbing up the mountain. Tradition says it was Mount Tabor in the Jezreel Valley. The trail up to the top of the mountain is probably about a mile long, not too different from the trek up the mountain to Jericho Villas, not too difficult to climb. These four men get to the top and now get down to pray. And suddenly, Jesus was transfigured. Webster says that transfiguration means a change in form or appearance, a metamorphosis, an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. Can you picture that in your mind's eye? And then on top of that, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear, and Jesus is there talking to them as naturally as can be. Can you picture that? You may open your eyes now. What if you were Peter, James, or John? What would your reaction be? They knew something terrifyingly incredible was taking place. And then the cloud appeared. What about the words from that cloud on top of that mountain? Do they pierce your heart? Do you listen to him? 
Jesus told those with him not to tell anyone until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. It seems to me that God was preparing them for the future, giving them a deeper glimpse into what would be coming. Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was past and of all that is to come. They must have been awestruck. Jesus told them not to say anything, and they didn't. But I bet they thought about it and pondered about what it meant and about what happened and about what was going to happen. Many times after a mission trip, and even during the trip, those here at home want to know what is going on. And sometimes it is difficult for the participants to explain. Coming back down the mountain and getting back into the hustle and bustle of everyday life is often difficult. Things can look very different on this end of a trip. And time is needed to process and take a closer look at what God was teaching you up on the mountain. And the best way to know what we experience on these trips is to join us on one of these trips. And that's an invitation. And you will begin to understand that a mission trip is something that God calls you to. It is not about traveling to exotic locations, eating wonderfully delicious different foods, and learning new cultures. It is about God transforming you into his image. It is about serving others in ways that you have never imagined possible. It is about hearing God say to you, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, burn these words into our hearts that we might listen to Jesus, that we might follow Jesus, that we might love Jesus, that we might serve Jesus, and draw us ever closer to Jesus all the days of our lives. In the name of your Son we pray. Amen.